This podcast may contain discussions about violence, drug use, and it's most definitely going to contain a lot of foul language. I'm sorry, Good evening. Hello. Hi. Um, welcome to Sorry He Sucks. Welcome. Join us. It's Bliss. It's a good podcast. That's that fun. We make. It's a good time. Um, we're going to do some pretty heavy hitters tonight. Yeah. People's favourites. I mean, I think that's what we always do. I know. There's <laughs> got to be someone out there who likes Johnny Depp, right? <laughs> someone loves him. Actually, I think a lot of people love him. They, they do. fucking go nuts yeah. in defence. But uh, tonight we are doing Kurt Cobain and Stephen Patrick or as other people know him, Morrissey. Boom. And we're going to just get right into it with... uh, Kurt Cobain. Yeah, do it. I did want to just quickly, obvious, I am sure everyone is aware of this, just a bit of a content warning. Uh, Spoiler alert, there will be suicide mentioned in my in my <laughs> half of the episode. Yes, not laughing at suicide. But no, it's a spoiler alert. If, if you didn't know, Kurt Cobain killed himself. He did. Yeah. Courtney didn't fucking murder him, you bunch of morons. I'm going to mention it. I'm, I, I do want to touch on it because, anyway, <clears throat> let, let's just get started. Tell me your story. So um, today we start our story in a place called Aberdeen. Mm. It's in Washington State in the US of A. And a shithole, I understand. Yeah, it's right up north. It's actually, it's a logging town. It was a port town. It it was called and has been previously called the hellhole of the Pacific. So oh, lovely. I know. Uh, the serial killer who may have killed around 140 men, Billy Gold, called it home. But oh. as, as you mentioned, <laughs> we're not talking about that miserable bastard, are we? No. No, we're going to talk about the Abedonian who inspired the slogan on the town's welcome sign. It says, come as you are. Oh, that's lovely. That is pretty good. Um, Yeah, so it's uh, Kurt Donald Cobain. Um, He was born February 20th, 1967. Mm. He was a very cute little bebe. I watched, there was a documentary, it's called... um, Montage of Heck, and it was it was really interesting. I thought it was really well done, uh, but it had a lot of like very adorable, adorable like kind of Super Eight footage of him as as a wee little baby, and he was really blonde hair, blue eyed, adorable cute. little smooshy. Yeah, he was smooshy, and I think um, his creativity, both like musically and artistically, was always encouraged from a young age. And he had like other family members who were also talented in this vein as well, other musicians yeah. in the fam. When Kurt was nine, his parents divorced. Um, and this seemed to be like a very seminal moment for him. And obviously like divorce wasn't accepted or didn't happen as much as it does now, for yeah. sure. I think it, he probably, when it happened in his family, it, was sort of starting to happen a lot fucking more. Yeah. But like 
He said that he felt, I read in a few places, he felt like quite like this shame about it, which is very sad. But um, after this, he kind of bounces around a lot and I think he was really fucking angry. He started like dicking around and just generally causing grief. Uh, I think that was like the catalyst to some bad behaviour. So he went and lived with his dad for a while and then his dad got remarried to a woman called Jenny who also had two children from her previous marriage and then his dad, Don, and Jenny had another baby. Uh-oh. Yeah, so they were like the... Jealous. Yeah, Brady Bunch, but not quite. Because <laughs> around this time his mother also started um, another a new relationship, but it was an abusive relationship and I think Kurt was privy and also like witnessed the abuse. Oh, horrid. And his mother, like she had to go to hospital with injuries um, and she didn't press charges either so she stayed with this person. So I just, I can't imagine being a child. Well, I think he was getting a little older at that point but just like being in that situation. Yeah. Watching your mum. tough. Yeah. Um, So he's like acting out, it's getting worse and worse. He's now being bounced around between friends and family. I think he had like a stint staying with his high school principal for a while. Ooh. Yeah, sounded like a nice guy. He allegedly stayed under a bridge, but his future bandmate was like, you couldn't stay under there. It was way too muddy. Um, <laughs> so he had a pretty tough time in school as well. He was bullied a fair bit. Um, and two weeks before he was meant to graduate, he dropped out because he realised he wasn't going to cut the mustard and he wouldn't graduate anyways. Oh, well, fair enough. Yeah. Why waste it? You got two weeks, mate. So a little while after that, he formed the band Fecal Matter. Oh, what a sweet name. Fancy poo. (laughs) And they mainly played covers, I think. And while hanging out at like a rehearsal space, Kurt uh, met Nirvana's future bassist, Chris Novoselic. And after Fecal Matter disbanded, he convinced him to start the new band, which would be Nirvana. Yay! And much like Spinal Tap, Nirvana had a number of drummers who mysteriously <laughs> disappeared. I'm just joking, I'm joking. They did it. But um, Chad Channing would serve as Nirvana's drummer and played on the first album, Bleach. But then I think Kurt became kind of like, didn't like his style anymore. Yeah. Um, and then the beautiful, hilarious, talented machine, Dave Grohl, joined the band. Best fucking drummer. I, well, I don't know if we could do him because I I, I just, want to because I'm not a big fan of the Foo Fighters. I think they're dumb and shit. I really liked them in high school. I went and saw them. I think I yelled something like, half my, um, oh, no, yeah, half my babies, Dave Grohl. <laughs> that's, that's my feminist stance. I say, I don't know, I said something like longing as I crowd surfed to the front and then got pushed aside by bouncers and was like, hey. Um, anyway. <laughs> I once called out to Beck on stage when I was 15 and said, I love you, Beck. And he said, I love Scientology. No. <laughs> he said, thanks, Mom, which was hilarious. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That is pretty funny, actually. We could do Beck, but we would probably be chased and murdered even by Scientology. Yeah, you never know what you're going to get with Mafia that Mafia people, yeah. Oh, allegedly. Um, 
So uh, I think Kurt was like a very avid letter writer and he would write to Dave and be like, you know, you need to commit more. A successful band has to practice five times a week um, because he lived in like the town over and he wasn't yeah, right. making band practice. Poor dude. I know, but I think later on Kurt says about himself that it's like he's not ambitious, but it's t- it's like things like that where you're like, you had ambition. Yeah, like, you totally were. Yeah. A bit before, Tracy, Miranda and Kurt started dating and they loved each other. And although she was working to kind of financially support the couple, I think Kurt was working on creative endeavours. Yeah, he seems like a fucking dropkick boyfriend. Yeah. I'll tell you what, but I mean, like, you know, we <laughs> we can attest to creative endeavours that are not paying the bills. <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple of those boyfriends. Yeah. So uh, apparently he wrote the song about a girl, about Tracy. Um, he uh-huh. then started a relationship with Toby Vale of the magnificent Bikini Kill. Yeah, right. I thought she was a lezo, but maybe, maybe she is. Um, I think they were very young at this stage, but that. Not the, you know, whatever. The story goes that he was so taken, so besotted when he met Toby, he spewed. And that's why. (laughs) So punk rock. I know. The lyric (laughs) happened like, love you so much it makes me sick in the song Aneurysm. Cute. So cute. Love a bit of a chunder story. Um, so in 1991, Nirvana released Nevermind and Kurt's position as like this spokesperson of a generation is completely solidified. Yeah. Even though he, I don't think he was really up for it, to be fair. No, uh, I think it just happened insanely fast. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Meteoric rise. It wasn't, like no bands got famous like that fast. No. And And rock and roll was all fucking gross, like... Guns and Roses and shit at that point. Like, yeah. it was the complete fucking opposite of what they represented. Yeah. I mean, like, you so know, no one expected them to actually succeed. No. And they are like so many, you know, like even like Jim Morrison, this, like, they, they're, they're representing this counterculture mm-hmm. for this generation that's, Disenfranchised, unhappy, dissatisfied. Yeah. And the same with Morrissey. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So Nevermind included what I would say is the band's most famous and definitely most played song, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Uh, the title of that came from... Kathleen Hanna. Yes, but Toby Vale's choice of deodorant. Yeah, right. Because the story, Kathleen Hanna also Bikini Kills, spray-painted the words Kurt smells like Teen Spirit on the wall in his flat because Teen Spirit was the flavoured of deodorant yeah. Toby Bale wore. But apparently <laughs> Kurt, like, he had no knowledge um, of this and he kind of he interpreted it very differently. <laughs> but anyway, you know, he, he turned them into words of a bloody great song. It's a cute story. It's very cute. Now, it is at this point that Kurt meets one Courtney Love. My fucking favourite. And the story of their meeting changes from source to source. So apparently they met in a nightclub in Portland, but somewhere between 1989 and 1991, there's basically three kind of stories about their meeting. Yeah, right. So, I don't know. (laughs) Depends on who you ask, I guess. Um, But by most accounts, Courtney was into Kurt, but he was a bit more standoffish 
And he was quoted saying, I was determined to be a bachelor for a few months, but obviously not for long. And he did really fall for Courtney. And they got married on February 24th, 1992 on Waikiki Beach. The bride wore a silk dress formerly owned by Francis Farmer. So cool. Do you know who Francis Farmer is? Yes. Because I had to kind of look into it a bit more. But anyway, look up Francis Farmer. It's an interesting story. And Kurt Cobain used to compare the way he was treated by the media to the way Francis was. Yeah. Um, like, and he wrote that song on In Utero, Francis Farmer Will Have Her Revenge on Seattle. I think that's what it's called. Mm. But, yeah, it's basically about Courtney being treated like a crazy person. Yeah. Because they locked up Frances Farmer basically just for being herself. Yes. But she was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia by... Sure. But whether that was a true diagnosis or not at the time. Yeah, exactly. She just wasn't what everybody wanted her to be. No. As a Hollywood star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, and Kurt wore pyjamas. Yes, he did. Sorry. (laughs) Because he was too lazy to change into a tuxedo. What a piece of shit, though, really. The good stuff. That's not very nice. No. She gets her hands on a, like, vintage Francis Farmer dress and he can't even get changed. Yeah. It's rude. I agree. Um, At this point, Courtney was, she was already prego with their daughter Frances Bean Cobain. Although Frances Bean Cobain wasn't named after Frances Farmer, she was named after... Francis Bacon. No. Just made that up. I don't know. I was waiting because you know all the things, but Francis McKee of the Vaseline. <laughs> I thought she was named after Francis Farmer, so. I did too, but yeah. Imagine <laughs> if she was named after Francis Bacon. That would be funny. <laughs> um, she was born, Francis was, on uh, the 18th of August in 1992. The cutest baby ever. Born. I mean, she is stunning. She's ridiculous. She was a really beautiful baby, but she's also now a very beautiful grown-up. She goes through phases of having, like, using Instagram. Yeah. um, And then not, and it's it's like, I started following her when researching this. Yeah. um, Right, so then there was the Vanity Fair article. So this was written by a woman called Lynn Hirschberg, and it featured images of, of a very, very pregnant Courtney Love. And in this article, Courtney speaks about being in New York with Kurt and then going on a bender before Nirvana's appearance on Saturday Night Live. But the thing is that Courtney would have actually been pregnant at that point because it was in January 1992. Yeah. So as a result of this, Child Protective Services took Francis Bean away and gave temporary custody to Courtney's sister. Um, I read a lot of like mixed reports, uh, which was quite consistent in this research, which it was, yeah, lots of conflicting information. Look, I can be a massive fan of Courtney Love and say she was a fucked up drug addict Yeah, at the time that she had her baby. No, I want to talk about this a bit more <laughs> later as well. Like I yeah. want to have like, yeah, anyway. It's awful for everybody. Yeah. This story. It's not like Courtney's the villain and they swooped in and saved her. No. It every, 
everyone is fucked and sorry everyone is disadvantaged by this situation like definitely anyway Courtney maintains that she was misquoted throughout this time. I also read that Courtney said she did take heroin at the beginning of her pregnancy and then she did get clean. Um, And eventually they did regain custody of their daughter. But I will get back into that a little bit later. So, you know, Kurt struggled with drugs for years and uh, he also had some very consistent health issues in his life he had a chronic bronchitis as well as an undiagnosed stomach issue, which provided him with constant pain. He claimed that heroin really was the only thing to kind of hold that pain at bay. And who knows, maybe that was, maybe that's how it started. I mean, a lot of people, you know, Oxycontin, sure. things lead to things. Absolutely. A lot of time it is pain. Um, maybe he just really liked heroin as well, but we'll never know. And there was also a history of mental illness in his family, but this is also contested by certain people as well. Yeah, right. It's It says like a counter-argument to every single thing you find <laughs> about Kurt Cobain. So in 1993, Nirvana released In Utero, which went to number one. Fucking great album. Amazing. So good. Um, and in autumn of that same year, the band embarked on a European tour. And I don't think Kurt really enjoyed touring. I obviously never saw him live. It looked amazing, but I don't think he really, I think he missed being home and that like hyper level of fame, like you said, in that kind of amount of time. I just don't think he got what he was after. Yeah. I also think he was kind of like egotistical. I do think that, but. Sure. Um, yeah, so. Kurt met Courtney in Rome um, and he overdosed in the hotel room and he was taken to the hospital and he recovered. But he was in a coma. It was very, very serious and Courtney has since claimed this was a suicide attempt. Yeah, right. But many others deny that. Well, how the fuck would they know? No, I'm not saying they do. No, I know you're not. <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. I but- just think it's insane that people are like, it wasn't a suicide attempt and his wife, who was with him all the time, mm. like they refused to believe her. Isn't that fucked? Yeah. Things just kind of progressively got worse when they went back to America. Um, I think they called, the, I could think they um, called, like stopped it to a short yeah. after that. And then on March 25th, 1994, Courtney Love, along with nine other people, had an intervention with Kurt. And he did not react very well. Oh. Yeah. And he also, well, I was going to mention that none of Kurt's family, aside from Courtney, were present at this intervention. Anyways, he was angry about being confronted in this way. But um, by the following day, he had agreed to go to rehab and to detox. Mm-hmm. And then Courtney then, he, she left Kurt and began this outpatient program to get clean at the Peninsula Hotel in Beverly Hills, which I think was kind of like the rage yep. in the heroin chic phase, like <laughs> go to a hotel and just, you know, sweat it out. Yep. Um, so still in Seattle, Kurt asked his friend and by some accounts heroin pal Dylan Carlson to get him a gun. And as the reason being because there had been trespasses around 
Courtney and Kurt's house in Seattle and he wanted protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so they paid Stan Baker's gun shop a visit and purchased a 20-gauge Remington shotgun and ammunition. And I read that it was shells. It wasn't like bullets. But, I mean, you can still kill someone with shells, but obviously. Um, I don't know the difference. Yeah. I'm not totally clear. I'm not really a gun guy. I don't really care. No. Um, now there's, like, different accounts of this situation as well. I'm sorry. But um, apparently Kurt took it back to the house and then left shortly after. Other accounts say that Carlson was instructed to leave the gun in like a cupboard or a wardrobe in the house. But Kurt then headed off to Exodus Recovery Centre in Los Angeles. He gave it a real good go and he left after a couple of days. Oh, God. Um, But while he was there, that was the last time he saw his daughter. No. Is that, did he leave by like climbing a fence? Or? Yeah. So apparently it was the kind of place where you could leave as you wanted though. Like you could come and go as you please. But then he apparently scaled this like six foot wall. <laughs> like he didn't to know leave. that he could just walk out the front door. Yeah. Apparently he went for a, for a sig break and then he <laughs> left over the wall. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. Others say that didn't happen. But <laughs> I feel like that was the news I heard at yeah. the time. Um, so after he left the center, he headed back to LAX and made his way back home to Seattle. And he got on the plane, and he was bizarrely sat next to Duff McKagan. Oh, what the basis for Guns and Roses? And they were enemies. Well, I think that real. Well, the real enemy was Axl Rose. And I was going to tell yeah. you this fun story that I heard um, on a different podcast. Podcast that we'll we'll put in the show notes. But. Um, this is a big side note, whatever's Trev's. Give it to me. I love this shit. So Axel Rose um, was real sour on Kurt because I think Nirvana didn't want to tour with them. Why would they? Exactly. Um, apparently, oh, it was, I could feel like it was like Dave Grohl or something was saying how they were walking through an airport and then Kurt Cobain's like, Axel will not stop calling me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, obviously it wasn't mobile phone. Maybe they weren't in an airport. Anyway. Anyway, they had, like, a bit of beef. Yeah. And then it all came to a head because Axel made some, like, comments about Kurt being a junkie and having a junkie wife, and then they made fucking comments about their kid, which were really shit. And I think it was, like, at a concert as well. Was it at, like, the MTV Music Video Awards or something? This was after, After, so then, um, yeah, so at the VMAs, Axel Rose and... uh, Stephanie Seymour, who was by his side, were like... November Rain. Yeah, fame. November Rain, fame. Um, That sounds much better, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they're like, I think they're backstage and they walk by Kurt and Courtney and Francis and Courtney yells, hey, Axel, want to be our daughter's godfather? (laughs) And then... (laughs) Which I love. It's delicious sarcasm. It's and then very good. Axel responds by saying to Kurt, you shut your bitch up or I'm taking you down to the pavement. Oh, my God. Fuck off, Axel Rose, you I fucking know. misogynist cunt. And then so Kurt, like, scoffed and said, shut up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I enjoy. Um, anyways, like, back on the plane... Duff and Kurt catch the flight back to Seattle. Duff says that they speak about, like, 
addiction and music and and heading home because that's what they were both doing. Yeah. Um, and then once he was back, Courtney found out that Kurt had skipped town and she hired Tom Grant to track him down. And he was a private investigator and a former detective with the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department and by all accounts had a very, very squeaky clean record as a police officer. Okay, yeah. How much weight does that hold? But um, Yeah, not much in Los Angeles. At that in the time 90s. as well. Um, so Kurt was reported missing by his mother who feared he was suicidal, but many claimed that it was Courtney claiming to be Kurt's mother reporting him missing. And there were a few sightings of Kurt around that time in Seattle. He was missing for five days in total until on April 8th, 1994, an electrician came to the house to install an alarm system and found Kurt above the garage. And it was always referred to as a greenhouse above the garage. He had a shotgun laying over his body and initially the electrician thought he was sleeping, but he realised that... That wasn't the case pretty quickly and police were called to the scene and declared his death a suicide and he was only 27 years old. So fucking sad. I think his death was, it had like a palpable effect around the world. Like I was very small and I remember vaguely but. um, I was 14 and I was fucking way in there. Yeah. It devastated me completely. I bet. Yeah. I mean, he was, he, yeah, he was like this dearly loved and adored person. And there was a lot of fear at the time around, well, whether these like adoring fans that he had might be um, affected so deeply that they might like uh, replicate his death. Yeah. And kind of like a tribute to this idol. And some sadly did do that. Ugh. It was definitely the first time I'd even really thought about suicide as a as a concept mm. or an option, even like yeah, it was not something that I guess as my, in my fourteen year old brain had ever like even thought about ever. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is nuts. Like my sister had a she had a Nirvana poster on her wall, and. I remember my mum being very weird about it after that or, like, not wanting her to have it up kind of thing. Um, Mum and Nissan was not into it. But I was also, I was trying to think last night, I was thinking someone who was at that kind of pinnacle of fame and he's, like, this cult human, right? Yeah. Um, I was trying to think of someone who had died by suicide and someone who was so just loved and obsessed over and I couldn't really and also when I started thinking about it more and more it was just fucking sad time so I was like mm, not going to think about it anymore no <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's so fucking awful yeah and so in my opinion Kurt was incredibly talented he was a fucking trailblazing musician He paved the way for so many musicians to come, so many amazing bands. He created a movement and a shift, not like not just in music, but it was like a way for young people to express themselves the way they wanted. And it's like giving them this like green light to do that and be themselves. There was a great quote about like, you know, 
I, I can't remember the quote, but it was it was essentially saying like, why be anyone else? Because you're going to like waste who you are. But yeah. More articulate. <laughs> um, he openly supported the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah, he did. He was pro-choice and a self-proclaimed feminist. Yeah. He once said, I'm disgusted by my own and my generation's apathy. I'm disgusted at what we allow to go on by how spineless, lethargic and guilty we are of not standing up against racism, sexism and all those other isms that the counterculture has been whining about for years while they sit and enforce those same attitudes every night on their televisions and magazines. Yeah, Kurt. Now. (laughs) Why do you love Kurt Cobain, Amber (laughs) Jones? Well, Nirvana came about the same time that I was, like, becoming the cool fucking kid that I became as a teenager. You! And, I mean, I was really obsessed with Nirvana. I was more obsessed with Hole. I loved Pearl Jam. I loved Soundgarden. I was obsessed with that whole vibe. Yeah. Um, and when, like, I lost my virginity to the album Bleach. It was playing. I oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't tell you, like, which song was playing at the moment of penetration or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> it was playing. And, like, so it was just, it was part of my youth in a very, very big way. Yeah. And... He was a babe, obviously. He was. He was was handsome poster boy of the stinky Blue Mountains ferals, I guess. Yeah, I bet. But, like, when when he died, I remember it very vividly. And it's funny because I have a really bad memory, Um, probably due to smoking too much pot as a teenager. I'm just like, what happened? Huh? <laughs> um, but um, I have a, it's so vivid in my memory when he died and I remember finding out about it, um, I think, at school or after school and, like, going on this big walk with my discman. Yep. And listening to Nevermind over and over and over again was so depressed, went home, listened to the amazing Richard Kingsmill produced Nirvana special that they had on uh, Triple J. Mm-hmm. I think I taped it and then I listened to it over and over. It was beautiful and it was just like people calling up, yeah, crying, talking about what they loved about him and talking about suicide, talking about depression. It was really, really amazing. And my dad came in and, like, sat with me and showed me a really nice, tender side to him that I hadn't really seen for a while because I guess I was a teenager and I was like, I don't want to talk to my dumb parents. But he was like, I know how you feel. This is sort of how it felt when when I, when I we lost John Lennon. Yeah. You know, he yeah. was like, it, it's a big deal and – feel all the feelings and talk about it and you know it was it was special 
to have that conversation with my dad at that age. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like his music changed my life. Yeah. In, in such a big way. And I loved Courtney Love so much that I guess I just thought any man who was strong enough, cool enough, fucking talented enough to like win her attention and love must be fucking rad. Yeah. <laughs> who, you know, it's pretty special. It was special to me. For sure. I get it. Okay, anyway. I'm, <laughs> I was just thinking that in that montage of Heck documentary, there is this beautiful part because they have footage and I don't know, I can't remember when Nirvana was here. Was it the Warp Tour? Was it no, the no, Vans? No, it was the Big Day Out 92 the, or 91. Okay. So sure. it must be at that gig because they must have had like one tour where they yeah, came they to the butthole of the world. They played at That's Selena's us. in Coogee. Ooh. Coogee. Coogee. Google Maps says. Um, yeah, so they've got this footage of these gorgeous young Australian people, but it's so funny because when you're watching when you're watching anything and there's a lot of like people with American accents or even British accents and it goes to Australian, it sounds so <laughs> uncouth. And then like this guy's like, yeah, Kurt's not pretentious like that. I just think he's just a good guy. <laughs> and then there's this gorgeous young woman and she's like, Oh, Kurt Cobain, I just think he's beautiful. <laughs> and it just made, it really, I was oh, watching man. it and I was like, fuck, God, this is fuck good. Fuck, we sound awful. Like, I love fuck, it. Fuck, we sound awful. <laughs> but maybe it's funny to some people. It's got to be. All right. So after that whinging from me, do your worst, mate. What did he do? Let's get into it. <laughs> All right. So... Well, start with something mild. Kurt was arrested a few times. First time was for spray painting. That was in May eh. 1986. He was like 19. Who cares? <laughs> uh, he was arrested for spray painting. Ain't got no whatchamacallit. That's hilarious. I know. And some to say that he spray painted God is gay, but I think that's not the case. I wish he did, though. I think he might have done that later, but I don't think he got arrested for that. Okay, cool, cool. Second time he got arrested, he was, like, just trespassing on a warehouse roof in Aberdeen. They were both in Aberdeen. I mean, what else are you going to do in I fucking shithole Aberdeen? Got to get from point A to point B. Yeah. There were some reported domestic disputes that went down at the Cobain house in Seattle many, many years later. Uh, Seattle police were called to the residence a couple of times and um, one time was to break up an altercation between Courtney and Kurt. Oh. Uh, they were getting into it over Kurt's guns that resided in the house. Oh. Again, there's differing stories. One, Courtney. Courtney? Courtney. The amalgamation. No. <laughs> That's the hell of a couple name. Courtney. <laughs> so the... First one is Courtney called the police because Kurt had locked himself in the bathroom with a gun and she was afraid he would kill himself. Another version is that Courtney and Kurt got into it. He locked himself in the bathroom because she was just like fucking on one. She was leading the charge and he just wanted to get away from her. And then she phoned the police and he was like, this was uncalled for. 
Okay. Regardless, um, they took the guns. They took them? Yeah. Once they arrived at that altercation, he had four guns and the police confiscated all of them. Okay. Good. So the Seattle Times wrote, when police arrived, Love told them she had thrown a glass of juice into her husband's face and he pushed her. Then she pushed him back and then he pushed her onto the floor and choked her. Ah. So that's what the police report said. And then afterwards, Love absolutely unequivocally denied that Kurt was violent. Okay. And to be fair, some reports of their first meeting claim that they ended up in like a wrestling match. Like I think that they used to do that. I think it turned Kurt on. Yeah. Okay. I like like that Get a little like physically into it. And Kurt was a former wrestler in high school. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He purposely lost to piss his dad off. Um, And I... I don't want to get too like I don't want to get too deep because we could get very very deep. But I do think you know we're not here for many many hours. I never stick to the amount of time that I'm allotted. It's true, you never do. I don't. But um, there are many many theories. There are many many conspiracy theories that Courtney Love was involved, if not orchestrated, the death of Kurt Cobain. I roll. So I don't roll. I my eyes are rolling. So far back, I have to like hit her in the back of the head so they come forward again. Um, But while I was researching this, there was so much fucking information about this and it it kind of like all chronicled Courtney's involvement in Kurt's death. People really think it's true and it's insane to me. Yeah. She would have been fucking arrested by now if she'd fucking done it. There's no way that a drug addict, drug-addled woman would have the fucking wherewithal and wits about her to pull it off. I mean, for fucking starters, she wasn't even in the same state. I was going to ask, well, I I mean, like, most of them are not that she did it. She didn't know that he was fucking going to skip out on rehab. I was going to ask you. Um, Getting very upset. Just if you entertain the idea, but I, I, I think I, I have the answer. <laughs> no, I don't entertain the idea. And I fucking hate that stupid movie. Oh, Kurt and Courtney. Ugh, it's so dumb. That guy is such a piece of shit. Have you seen he did that movie about Aileen Warnos? Oh, No. It's so exploitative. It's fucking horrendous. Really? He, he's such an asshole, this guy. I, f- I hate him. I hate him. Fair enough. Passionately. <laughs> Look, I also went into this, and I'm not saying that my mind has been changed, just thinking it's a load of shit. Like, as I want to do, I proceeded with the indignant feminist lens that I approach life with, <laughs> as always. Good girl. But... Honestly, like, like there's so many conspiracy theories. It, it, like, sparks your interest because whether it's just, like, a bunch of, like, coincidences or just, like, pieces of, you know, information. Circumstantial evidence. Yeah. But it's not even. No, no, not even that, but just, like, just, like, putting pieces of information together like a puzzle so it kind of comes out with a narrative that you're wanting it to, sure, to take the shape of. It's called um, confirmation bias. Ah. Where if, like, cops think they've got their man, they'll just sort of make it fit 
And yeah, and I swear that that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, totally, very much could be the case. But there was just like a couple of, there were a couple of things where I was like, hmm. And I, I mean, I've done it before. I mean, is Paul Bancartney even alive? I'm joking. He's alive. But it's fine. Also, I really got into that when I was in high school, though. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, my God, if I hold a mirror up to Sergeant Pepper. Anyway. One of my best mates doesn't believe in the moon landing. So, yeah. Like, I I know. I happens. had a whole conversation <laughs> at drinks with a flat earther. You know, <laughs> it's just, it is interesting to see the, I don't know, the details, the elements that make people really commit identify and believe in these kind of things. I yeah. think that's interesting too. Sure. But I'm going to tell you a couple of them, just All a couple right. of things. Just be prepared for me to get fucking pissed off. There's a lot of speculations about the letters that Kurt wrote. So there's meant to be like four in total. There was one was found at the suicide attempt in Rome. And so at that instance, he took a lot of rehypnol because once you pop, you can't stop. Am I right? <laughs> what a good time. And then um, Courtney's account of how many pills he took has changed a lot. Like it's it's changed. But it's been a long time and she took a lot of drugs. But um, so Courtney woke up in this hotel room after he'd overdosed. They drank champagne together. She fell asleep. He was unresponsive. And laying on the side of the bed and then, you know, he went into hospital and was fine. Well, you know, he recovered. Um, But there was meant to be this note that he had written before that. But apparently it's never been seen. But there is a... So Courtney said there was a note. Yeah. Okay. Um, But there are... Why would she give it to the press? No, no. No, fair enough. But what... But there was a recording with Tom Grant, the detective, because he recorded all of his phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and Courtney said about the note, I think Tom Grant asked if she had it and she said that Detective Cameron, who was another person later down the line, said, I would destroy this if I were you. It's not going to do you any good. And then Tom Grant asked on the phone, I've heard the recording, mm-hmm. um, why, would, why would someone tell you to get rid of that? And then she says, because it wasn't really nice, it talked about getting a divorce. So then there's a whole bunch of other things about that and a pre, there was no prenup, but she actually, there was a prenup that she made him sign and they both signed it because people, anyway. So there was a prenup? Yeah. Saying it, she wouldn't have any of his money or something, or that she would have his money. No, she, she half. I think that's fine. Or like, it's fucking normal. Yeah, no, no, no. I know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just <laughs> delivering the fucking message. Yeah, bro. I'm just <laughs> fighting with the internet. Um, so who cares? No, I think it's just because she got rid of it. Maybe the fact that he was thinking about getting a divorce—that's a sad, fucked up thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't see why that's evidence that he wouldn't kill himself. No, I don't think it's evidence that he wouldn't kill himself either. Yeah, so you can shut that door now. The second note was under Courtney's <laughs> pillow. I can't say that word. I acknowledge Hello. it. Um, pillow. I can't remember what this one said. I don't know. I don't think anyone's seen that one either, but she's claimed there was an, this other one. It was in the Seattle house. The third was in Kurt's wallet and it read, do you, Kurt Cobain, to take 
Courtney Michelle Love as your lawfully shredded wife, even when she's a bitch with zits and is siphoning all your money for doping and whoring and will you promise to fuck her once a week? Okay. And this was written on... (laughs) That sounds like a funny thing that a couple would do. Yeah, it was written on Urban Resort Stationery, like in San Francisco, this hotel, and most people say that Courtney actually wrote it. Yeah, I bet Courtney wrote it. That's funny. Um, then there and was, it was in his wallet? Yeah. That's a cute, funny thing he kept that she wrote. I mean, I... I'm, Door closed. Okay. <laughs> this is very unfun for me. Um, <laughs> so there was a final suicide note that was in the greenhouse above the garage where Kurt was found dead. It was in a plant pot and there was a pen stuck through it. Um, at the big, like, Seattle Memorial, a recording of Courtney Love reading this was played. And then there's just people say that the last four lines, which are are not written by Kurt, and they do look really, really, like, they. it looks like different kind of writing, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it was written after the fact. Um, I've got a copy of it. We can look at it right now. Yeah, and you can tell me that the <laughs> last four lines are a lot bigger. Like the letters are a lot bigger. I think he just wrote it later. Um, also, it was addressed to Boda, who was his childhood imaginary friend, and I wanted to ask if you had any imaginary friends. Now's not the time. I just think it's like an older sibling thing because you're a bunch of creeps. I actually didn't have an imaginary friend, but a friend of mine did, Toya, if you're out there, shout out. But... Michelle did. I thought it was Derrick, very baby weird. Derrick was she his name. She <laughs> think it was real and I was so like, no. I think baby Derrick's the best name ever. Um, so, yeah, the last lines say, I don't know if there's, I don't think there's much weight in this either. Just I feel attacked. But Francis and Courtney, I'll be at your altar. Please keep going, Courtney, for Francis, for her life, which will be so much happier without me. I love you. I love you. There wasn't a toxicology test after the death. The gun wasn't tested for fingerprints until 30 days after the fact. It was also smeared and there was like four possible prints. I don't know, but he took a shitload of heroin beforehand. And he just bought it, so it would have had the salesperson's yeah, I don't, prints, but the also guy it was, who was weird. It was just, that was bad, bad policing. Like, but, yeah. Um, yeah, like the amount of heroin he took, people questioned whether he'd be able to shoot himself with this. It was a really long shotgun. I mean, it wouldn't take much, but when I when we talk about the actual quantity of the heroin that he took, it was a like it was a fucking lethal dose, like a shit ton. Mm. Just saying. Okay. I don't like you know you don't like take a bunch of smack and then you're like, I don't know. Look. I'm not going to believe it until I hear it from Courtney's mouth. And all the junk was very neatly placed in a box beside him. So it's like he must have had time to do that after he's putting the thing around his arm to get the vein ready. He's got to take that off. He's got to put that back in the box. He's got to shoot. It's just a, it's a lot of stuff that he's doing, but also, you know, but who knows, maybe he had superhuman tolerance well, to heroin. Well, he probably had a pretty high tolerance. Yeah, I think so. He was using a lot. That's why they had a fucking intervention for him. Yeah. But this was a, yeah, when they were talking about, well, I listened to a couple of podcasts and just listening to how much, but if the toxicology 
things haven't been like released and how do we know how much was in? Yeah, we don't know. Um, I, but I do, I think it was, it was pretty mismanaged by the police. I don't know. I mean, like, I think they were just like, this is a suicide done and dusted. So then you can see all these like holes because they were just like, this is unnecessary. Um, and that like electrician alarm guy, his name was, uh, Gary Smith, so uh, he apparently let MTV know, like, immediately. Like, it would have been a, what a fucking circus at that house. Yeah. I think the Seattle police, like, receive at least a phone call a week requesting people, the, the investigation to be reopened. Still? Yeah. God. I remember, like, I'm pretty sure it was, like, the front page of the Sydney Morning Herald or something had a picture of his legs through the window. Yeah. It's That's, so disgusting. There's actually a bunch of, um, there was photos that were never developed from the scene as well and until like. I'm just Googling it right now. The 2000s. Um, but I did, like I said before, I want to touch on the fact that Courtney was probably at one point and at, at a few points the most hated woman in America and beyond. I think she probably still is. She, like, especially after that Vanity Fair article, for yeah. sure. Yeah, like, she yeah. was condemned by the media as this negligent mother. But I think that what I would like to acknowledge is that Courtney was living with a partner with a fucking heavy heroin addiction while she's also trying to stay clean throughout a pregnancy and she's had a past addiction. Like, that'd be horrible. Yeah. You don't feel supported, do you? No, not at all. You have to just fucking get on with it. Yeah, like, and she's, and you're being vil. Like, <sighs> I just think, you know, obviously, yes, she's carrying the baby, but I'm sure that she wouldn't mind it if Kirk could carry the baby to carry it and then he'd have to go clean. All the horrible, there's so, like, footage from, I'm pretty sure it's from Montage of Heck where he's just like, nodding off. That's what I was going to say. I mean, there's this, like, video footage. It's from, like, also she saved his life, like, on more than one occasion. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, there's what you're going to say is, like, at Francis's first birthday, he's just, like, fucking nodding off and Courtney's trying to get him to be present and it's just, like, can we just Uh. take a moment to put a shoe or a foot in her shoe? Yeah. (laughs) Put a shoe in her foot for all I care, but just, like, she was it must have been very so difficult. Hard. Yeah, it would have been fucking awful. Just, yeah, I think that that's never even a consideration. No. She got totally Yoko Wono'd. Totally. And, like, had no respect. Yeah. People even say that she didn't write her yeah, own I know. songs. And that's bullshit. Like, can we? I think, <laughs> obviously. Why doesn't anyone say that she wrote? Nirvana songs. Because of the patriarchal rule. Yes. I found a couple of sources that said in 1981, Kurt killed a cat by trapping it inside his parents' chimney. Jesus. Um, I mean, we're not talking the Washington Post, but it was in a couple of places. (laughs) That's serial killer shit. Uh, Now, this is the thing that I really struggled with. I didn't, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was something that happened when Kurt was in high school and it's retold in the documentary Kurt Cobain Montage of Heck. Oh, yeah. There's um, 
tapes of audio spoken, but like Kurt is narrating it, the old audio tapes, and it's accompanied by this animation which tells the story. And so how it goes is that Kurt started hanging out with these kind of like deadbeat guys. And they'd smoke weed together and skip school and then they go to this girl's house and they would do this like frequently. No. And then so Kurt says that she was in special ed. He said she was very quiet. Um, he said some would call her, he uses the term retard, which is not a word that I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that word. Uh, anyway, so these fellas, they would go to this girl's house, they'd distract her, and then they'd steal booze from the father's basement. And this was around the time that his mother was living in the abusive relationship that I mentioned before. Yeah. Um, so Kurt was just done. I think he was very, very depressed. I think he was having thoughts about ending his life by this story as well. Like, um, But before he did that, he wanted to experience sex. And so Kurt returned to the girl's house on his own and he said he wanted to fuck her um, and he didn't know how and he asked her if she knew how and she explained that she she did because her cousin had shown her. Um, And then he said he was grossed out by her, um, the way her vagina smelled and... Mm how her sweat reeked. It's so dark and fucked up. Yeah. And he didn't go back to school for a while, but when he did, when he did go back, the girl's father came to find the boy who had taken advantage of his daughter. And then he says that after that, his peers began to call him retard fucker. But what I found, what I found most, I found really horrible about watching that story. I mean, all of it, but like, it was like the teenage male sex drive is just like totally paramount and it can't be bridled. And then to the way in like his own words that he spoke about the ridicule he experienced after this. And then he couldn't handle this humiliation. There was like zero consideration of the other person involved in this entire situation. Yeah. Like Ugh. where was the consent? Or is anybody thinking about this other person yeah, implicated? Yeah, what about this poor little girl? Ugh. But again, I have to mention that two of his childhood friends who were around throughout this time and through his adolescence deny the shit out of this story and they say... It was based on no facts and then it was just a fictional entry in his journal. Oh. And it was from his imagination. They said that they would have known if, if that had happened. existed? They uh, they didn't necessarily say that, but if that had happened. Right. That if he was getting teased and yeah. they would remember that. Yes. Okay. But did they say that? Obviously, they said that after he died because that... Yeah, 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 after he died. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, but, like, when I read that and and also I listened to, like, some other things after that, like some, like, podcasts and stuff that talked about it and the way that they they phrased it, I was just absolutely... Because I hadn't watched Montage Effect and then I watched it after listening about it and the way that these people were discussing it made me so fucking furious. Like how... What were they saying? 
I mean, well, they're making jokes about the situation. They didn't what? like it. Like, I think if we should be taken, like, if that was actually something that happened, that's actually. What the fuck? Yeah. When I saw that movie, I was so disturbed. Yeah. By that part I, that I. But you know what it's me. It means that it's like you know what I want to have sex. Well, fuck you, because every other teenager wants to have sex as well. Yeah, including and there's only one guy who wants to have sex. Like, I mean, sorry, there's only one guy who like gets to have sex, and his name is Chad, and he's a douche. But like, (laughs) I'm kidding. Chad's out there, but I feel like for me, this has been really confusing. There are just so many conflicting stories. It was like everywhere I turned, there was two or more versions of anything. It was wild and annoying. I really, I did try really hard, but like <laughs> it was ridiculous, the amount of shit. It was too much information. So and much. just like. The market is flooded. For every this, there's five that's. Yeah. Ugh. There's also so many fucking annoying men who just like wank on about how much they know about Kirk Cobain and and it actually really grosses me out. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know, I don't know left or right anymore after doing this. I'm not gonna pretend I know him. Just this afternoon I was watching a really bad <laughs> biopic kind of thing about Morrissey when he was in his early teens. And afterwards and when you finish a movie, it's like, if you liked this, oh, you yeah. like all these other stupid movies. Babysitter's Club came out? <laughs> no. <laughs> but it after the Morrissey one, it like just gave us, me a whole lot of like music, documentaries and movies. And one of them was about Nirvana and I was like, oh, I haven't even listened to Nirvana and we're going to do this episode today. So I'm going to watch this thing. And it was just like a deep dive into In Utero, the album. Yeah. So I was like, I'll watch it. And the whole fucking documentary was just full of fucking white dudes just talking about Kurt. These are definitely people who've never met him. Right. I don't even know who they fucking are. I don't even think they were credited with who they are. Just like some fucking guy somehow gets into a, I'm pretty sure it was like a BBC documentary, just fucking talking about what he, like, in such a confident way, mm. Kurt was like this and he thought this and it's like, how the fuck would you know? Yeah, I know. I, I can barely say I need to go to the bathroom with conviction, you know. <sighs> I'm questioning it. I've apologised 15 times in this episode already yeah. and to my best friend in our podcast. Like, yeah. what the fuck? Anyway, that shit fucking pisses me off and I got really mad about it. Fair enough. Has nothing to do with Kurt Cobain. You know what does have to do with him? What? Did he get ruined? No. (laughs) Oh, there you go. But maybe a little bit. I just don't know. that. Just that thing is so yucky. Yeah. And it really, I found that incredibly unsettling, uncomfortable. It's I was just, I couldn't disturbing. stop thinking about it. Like I, I know that um, Francis Cobain was a producer on that film. Really? Yeah. And so she put it all together, had the final say in everything that went into Montage of Heck. And I think it's very odd that that 
was even in that film. Mm. And I wonder why. Because you think about how many, like he was a prolific journaler and like all of his artistic, you know, kind of works and creations, it was like he'd been making them forever. Like I don't know why or how, I don't know how the film was made. Like I don't know if they had lots of chunks of stuff and Mm. they got to do a few things and they just thought that was so fucking awful that they that it was worth yeah. using. They were trying it makes you to, remember it. Well, totally. Were they trying to show like a multifaceted person? Mm. And that would make sense if she's trying to say, "Stop fucking idolizing my father who killed Maybe. himself when I was a fucking baby yeah. and who was a drug addict and left me and my mother." Like her, I don't know. I don't know. Right. Well, I need a break. All right, let's have a break. We'll see you back here in a couple of seconds for you, but maybe 10 minutes for us. Okay, so, Morrissey. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I feel is, like this is going to be rich. This is incredibly rich. Um, okay, so Morrissey, the sardonic Pope of Mope. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good, Amber Jones. Oh, I didn't come up with that. The media came up with that. Well, let's leave them ago. out of this. And I, I can really just like it. Believe you did it. Um, anyway, he was born Stephen Patrick Morrissey in Lancashire, UK, in 1959. His parents had immigrated from Dublin to Manchester just a year before he was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and he grew up in a council house. Mm-hmm. As a kid, he actually also for his, the rest of his life too, um, he had an immense fascination with the Moors murder and me too, Morrissey. Yeah. Me too. Um, I can imagine that they were a huge fucking deal um, when he was a kid. Like it's, that's when it happened. 100%. Um, and Morrissey would have been just at the right age to have possibly been a victim of Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Um, if you're into murder stories, have a look into the Moore's murders. So fucked up. Yeah. Um, he actually wrote a Smith song about the murders called Suffer Little Children. Mm. Um, it was released as a B-side to Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. And when Great song. it was playing on a jukebox in a pub, and one of the grandparents of one of the murdered children heard it. He was fucking pissed off, like thinking that the band was trying to profit from the murders. Um, But after that, he actually met up with Morrissey um, and accepted that the song was a sincere exploration of the impact of the murders. Um, And Morrissey subsequently established a friendship with Anne West, um, who was the mother of one of the victims, Leslie Ann Downey, um, mm. who is mentioned by name in the song. So, yeah, anyway, I digress. I just can't resist talking about murder. No, that's interesting. Um, what are the chances? I know. Manchester. Mm. Anyway, Morrissey did, I don't know what I mean by that at all. <laughs> it's a pretty big city. Manchester, you know, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, Morrissey didn't do particularly well in school and as anyone who has ever listened to the Smiths would assume, he was a weirdo and a loner. 
He loved to read and also, unsurprisingly, was a massive Oscar Wilde fan. Yeah. I mean, he's totally the modern dandy. Am yeah. I, right? I actually, I watch just... I watched a really interesting Oxford lecture by Stephen Fry about Oscar Wilde and it was so beautifully done. I implore you all to. Stephen Fry. It was just like the way that he told the story was just absolutely inspiring, like with with nothing in front of him, just like. I'm I'm into that for sure. I'll watch it later. Uh, apart from reading, Morrissey was mad for music. He was a huge fan of the New York Dolls. Bowie, etc. You know, queer music. Mm. Um, when he left school, qualificationless. I don't think he. I don't know why they call it over there, like O levels or something. I think like it was that. O levels, and now I, um, and there's like GCSEs. He didn't finish. Cool. Um, uh, he sailed through a few very low-paying, depressing, shitty jobs. Had a lot of name tags and hairnets, perhaps. (laughs) Before giving it all up uh, and going on the dole, which, you know, respect, mate. Yeah. I'm on the dole right now, thanks COVID-19. But, you know, what do you, you know, you can't get a job. Yeah. All All the jobs you can do are fucking shit, hey. Yeah. Go on the fucking dole. Yeah. Take a load off. <laughs> um, he also sailed through a few bands before founding the Smiths with Johnny Marr. Mm-hmm. The first time that those two met was in August 1978 and Marr was only 14. Cute. To Morrissey's 18. Ah. Um, and they were at a Patti Smith concert, which is fucking cool AF. Yeah. Fucking dreamboat, dream girl, dream woman. Then... For the next four years, I, Morrissey was just like a depressed fucking young man hating life. Um, and then Johnny showed up on Morrissey's doorstep and asked him if he was interested in starting a band. Like, Good on you, Jono. They hadn't seen each other for that whole time. And yeah. they, I'm pretty sure they met like, hi, I'm Johnny. Hi, I'm Stephen. Yeah. Um, apparently Johnny was impressed that Morrissey had written a book about the New York Dolls, which he had, um, and had read somewhere about the songwriter Jerry Lieber turning up on the doorstep of who would become his lifelong writing partner, Mike Stoller. Anyway, the two, Johnny and Morrissey, got on great. And Morrissey came up with the name The Smiths, saying, quote, it was the most ordinary name and I thought... It was time that the ordinary folk of the world showed their faces. I love that origin story. Me too. It was really nice. It's so good. And also, like, I, I mean, I could have deduced it, but, like, I like the way they chose the name. Yeah. I think it's a great name. Uh, okay. So they made their first single, which was Hand in Glove, fucking great song, with Rough Trade Records and with a little help from John Peel who I'm sure you know about if you don't fucking Google him. He's very important in the English music scene. Mm-hmm. Um, they may, Their next two singles charted and they, you know, got a pretty decent following. At this time, Morrissey ditched the Stephen and the Patrick and would only let people refer to him by his surname. <laughs> and I get not liking your name, but it's so weird when people change their name. Do you think? Like, I mean, I told my (laughs) tennis instructor that my name was Shazzy. (laughs) 
for a long time because I saw because of a car chassis that was the chassis. Yeah, but it was also. But that's I think, what you the wanted your name to be. Oh, I just lied about it. How old were you? Probably seven. This guy's a fully grown adult man. Yeah. No, I think you know. This was twenty-two at least. But that's like, I don't know. I think that your name or what you grew up with, like if you've gone all the way through to adulthood, that's a huge part of your identity. Well, for me it is. Totally. That's why I would never take anyone else's name because I am not that person's last name. I'm I'm Kara fucking Nissen. Imagine if I was just like, everyone must now call me Jones and never say Amber to me ever again. (laughs) Like, it's so weird. Anyway, I think that's a very strange thing to do. Like... I like to call people by their last names sometimes, but it's more as just like an endearing Oh, joke. I love that. And yeah. I've got a few people who call me Jonesy, and I love it. Yeah. But I'm certainly not going to, like, ban Amber. No. It's weird. And it's disrespectful to your mother, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, in February 1984, the Smiths released their self-titled debut album, and it Debuted on the charts at number two, which, quite frankly, is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, they just were the best. Killing it. They made three more incredible fucking albums before the band split up. Do you, I would say to Johnny, just being fucking done with it. I think he just wasn't, I think he was a bit of a drinker. He was fucking over it. Morrissey was a bit of a dickhead. Yep. And he just was over it. Morrissey immediately started his solo career. I think he'd even been working on a solo project before they even split mm-hmm. up. Um, like a bit li- bit like Georgie and his 15,000 albums that he had yeah, in his back pocket? a bit like Georgie. He just like... Harrison, that is. Yeah, obviously. Hello. Last Hello. Episode of Keep last up, season. people. God. Uh, um, anyway, he's been... <laughs> His solo career is so super successful. His first solo singles and album charted better than any of the Smiths' work. Really? Yeah. The last song on that album called Margaret on the Guillotine about Thatcher, of course, Mm. hilariously had conservative parliament members accusing Morrissey of being involved in terrorist groups and his house was raided. It's funny. It's like it's a song. Yeah, but I mean, people like, hate Margaret Thatcher, and they write songs about murdering her. That hotel in Brighton was bombed. Was I don't yeah, know yeah, if it was before then or after. Calm down. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like how I just told you to calm down after I just screamed at you about Courtney Love for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm sure we all know how cunty the English press is and, mm-hmm. mate, they fucking hounded Morrissey and mostly about his sexual orientation. Fuck off. Yeah. It's none of your fucking business. Back in the Smiths days, Morrissey had told the press that he was celibate. No doubt this was partly inspired by his Oscar Wilde obsession who said that celibacy was the only real perversion. <laughs> He's been quoted many times as saying he hates sex or he hated sex. Um, And he's been fiercely private about his personal life. In a letter written in 1980, he described him and his then-girlfriend as bisexual but has pretty much refused to comment ever, really. 
Um, Has he ever been seen with? Oh, yeah, yeah. Johnny Ma said in a 1984 interview that Morrissey, quote, doesn't participate in sex at the moment and hasn't done so for a while. Okay. He was constantly asked by interviewers if he was gay, like constantly. In one interview, in, rest. Yeah, in an interview in 1985, he stated, quote, I don't recognize such terms as heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, and I think it's important that there's someone in pop music who's like that. These words do great damage. They confuse people and they make people feel unhappy. So I'd like to do away with them. Fair enough. Eloquently said. And I feel like they just need to accept that and shut the fuck up about Mm. it. After years of, like, fucking years of more hounding, he released a statement in 2013 which said, quote, Unfortunately, I am not homosexual. In technical fact, I am human sexual. I am attracted to humans, but of course, not many. Like, shut up. Yeah. So the only relationships we... Now I'm going to fucking get into it. Oh, right, thank you. But, you know, the only relationships we do know about were Jake Walters, who was a Cockney boxer. Mm. Hot. Um, Who he was uh, with... We're seeing from 94 to 96. Mm-hmm. He was also with a woman named Tina DeLange, who he had said he had a, quote, uncluttered relationship with. Interesting terminology. Yeah. Um, and those two also discussed having a baby together. Okay. Uh, that's clutter. Yeah, that's very cluttery. Yeah. Are you mad? Anyway, they didn't. Um, and there's also a younger... Are you mad? Are you mad? <laughs> Don't have a baby if you hate clutter. Um, there's also a younger Italian man only referred to as gelato, kind of racist, yeah. anyway, in his autobiography, who he was, like, buying a house with in a fairly serious relationship, I guess. Sounds like it. Um, and because I have so many shitty things to say about him, that's it. That's all I'm giving you about his life. Fair so, Kara, what do you love about Morrissey? Look, I think that I love Morrissey because I love the Smiths. Yeah, same. Um, and I'm curious, and maybe you'll get into this, but I'm, I wonder what he's like old bandmates think of him now, but obviously they've never got back together. They've never reunited. So it just, maybe you'll answer that later. I love their music, obviously. I listen to it like I have sort of very consistently listened to it throughout my life. Yeah, me too. Um, You know, I listen to it very regularly now and I have like all of these really strong memories and associations with their music as well. Because I was like, I remember when I was in high school and I was just like, I was feeling, I don't know, I was feeling like longing and I was listening to Please, Please Let Me Get What I Want. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite cry time song. Like, what the fuck, you moody <laughs> little so- teen? Like, what were you longing <laughs> after, you loser? <laughs> but I do remember just being like, just mm. getting what you want. I fucking long for that. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Is it too much to ask to get what I want? Please, please, please. I, please. I manners. Um, <laughs> when I was at uni, one of my good friends, Isaac, did the most impressive version of this charming man, but it was particularly Aww. the, 
<laughs> bit. Oh, that is a good bit. Thanks. Yeah, I, I reckon I'd say he surpassed Morrissey and his ability to make that sound was better, frankly. Yeah, right. And then... Shout out to Isaac. Yeah. You know, you know who you are. He better be listening. <laughs> I think he does. Um, I'm going to tell him to definitely listen to this. <laughs> but um, then I moved to the UK and that at that point I reckon that my love for the Smiths, it just really, it ramped up. Yeah. Then I was living, you know, where they were from. So like I'd listen when I was working in a jewellery shop it was like it was in Covent Garden and some days during the week you wouldn't have that many customers but we could put on whatever like our own playlist and I would listen to like Meet You at the Cemetery Gate and Shoplifters of the World Unite. There were shoplifters. (laughs) I, you know, have definitely been a shoplifter. Cheese is overpriced. And (laughs) also Sheila takes a bow. That was like a big favourite throughout the time. I think that's my favourite still. Yeah, you know what, Amber? such a great room. I did. I fucking booted the grime of the world right in the fucking crotch. I thought that he said, put the grime of the world in your crotch, dear. That's a gateway drug to a UTI <laughs> and about a thrush. <laughs> do not do I that anymore. Anyway. I actually just thought it meant like, fuck gross people. Oh, no, I was. Uh, but no. yours makes so much more sense in like. Boot the grime of the. But it was just Put like the grime of the world <laughs> in your crutch, dear. That's <laughs> so different. <laughs> it is so different. I, I, it's oh totally dear. changed context. But that was a real like time for me. It, those that was just like a very I yep. don't know. It was a big time. It was like all this freedom. I was living overseas. I was yeah. you know, I like lived in my own place. And it I wouldn't wanted. Like I, you know, I yeah. discovered a cider in black thanks to Lou Clark and it changed my goddamn life. Shout out. Love you, Lou. And um one of the one of my other favorites is um There is a light that never goes out. Ugh, the best. I know. It's the it's the lyric. It's like it signifies true, like Sad girl love. I honestly would love that song to be played at my wedding. Yeah. Like as I walk down the aisle. If a double-decker bus. Kills the both of us. Today by your side. It's such a heavenly way to die. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's so good. I it's love so it. It's so fucking funny. It's funny. It's poetic. And it like, but somehow it hits it's, you in that emotional, sweet, we, cushy, well, cushy spot. I think it's because we all have those like sooky baby feelings. Yeah. But, and, and we know how sort of dumb it is in retrospect it's totally dumb but at the same time when you're so caught up in that especially when you're young and you're stupid and you're footloose and fancy free I mean it's over now but um (laughs) yeah look I love this mess with all my heart I don't think I'll ever get sick of listening to them I I fucking hope not after this there was also this like amazingly talented person called alien Amy LeMay, she was like an author, presenter, and she did this one-woman show. I saw it in 2012. It toured London. It was called Unhappy Birthday, and the whole thing was about being a diehard Morrissey fan. Cool. Every single show, she had a seat 
with his name on it that was waiting for him. <laughs> she invited him oh. to all of them. But, no, I mean, like, it was all part of it. It's so good, though. And then, obviously, he never turned up. It was so fucking brilliant and funny. And then see. I know. she's She was amazing. She was – I met her a number oh. of times because of where I worked. But she yeah. was just a very – like um, – a number of times, a few times, but she was a genuinely a lovely person. Um, but like, yeah, so he doesn't show up to the show and then she kind of like slowly unravels and becomes more upset and it becomes this <laughs> so dramatic thing. It was so, so good. And I think like, you know, if we're going to look at the real foundations here, I just really fucking love Northern England. What can I say? Yeah. I think that's why. It's, it's, it's uh, moved me in big ways for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Consistent. I think I already said this, but I don't think I'll ever get sick of listening to them. No. I'm always in the mood to listen to the Smiths. Yeah, but maybe I'll listen to them with a big, like, grain of salt or a salt lick <sighs> after this. Well, I'm not sure. I, I had it on when I was writing this and I turned it off. Did ya? Yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like, maybe I'll... Anyway, so here we go. Here we go. This was a tough one for me. Yeah, I mean, like, I know, I just, I know at least part of what's coming. And I think I knew, but I didn't want to know. Or the extent. Once yeah. you put your hand in the pie. Once you write it all down. Yeah. It's too many. So it's a fucking long list of shitty things and, like, a fucking lot. And, you know, Morrissey is a very bitchy person mm. and he's definitely a narcissist. Mm-hmm. I think you have to be to be like a singer in a fucking band. Yeah, that um, ego's got legs. Yeah. Um, and so he also fucking loves to tell everyone everything he fucking thinks every time he fucking has a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves attention and I'm sure he means everything he says too, which is the problem yeah. with what I'm about to tell you. Um, and look, uh, I will preface this next part as saying, I don't think I mentioned this before, but Morrissey is a big animal rights campaigner. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. That's amazing. The world needs more vegetarians, vegans, if we want to save the planet. And of course, sticking poisonous mascara into bunnies' eyes is fucking insanely cruel and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like, I myself am a cruelty-free makeup user mm-hmm. exclusively. Um, and I can absolutely accept that many, many people cannot eat meat as they can't support eating anything with a mother. I get it. I'm so on board. I'm so okay. But Morrissey is a staunch fucking vegetarian slash vegan and his views on is he a vegan he is now okay yeah um but he like absolutely does not accept people eating meat and you know that's okay i really respect that but some of the shit he said is pretty hectic for example he hates your boyfriend jamie oliver because what he he cooks meat sometimes (laughs) He legit, he's like. He's an angel. And he really pushes for veggies. He does. <laughs> he an, pushes for, he, he breaks for veggies. He does. In an interview with an Irish magazine, Morrissey said, quote, Jamie should be gassed. Whoa. It would be a great help 
if Princess Anne gassed Jamie Oliver. I mean, that's just a curveball. He's killed more animals than McDonald's. No. He also said, quote, if Jamie Orrible is so certain that flesh food is tasty, then why doesn't he stick one of his children in a microwave? I mean, he has five. No, look, it's not that bad. It's sharing a bitchy opinion. It's very nasty. And I'm not sure Jamie really deserves that, but... Like McDonald's is defo killed. Yeah, that's what I mean. You kind of like lose a bit of clout when you say bullshit. What what is fucking royal family got to do with it? Yeah, it's very strange. He he hates the royal family, but he's like obsessed with England. He's so weird. Yeah. Um, He refuses to play at any venues that serve meat and food outlets are regularly made to remove any meat from sale on the night of his concerts. And in probably the biggest win he had, the Staples Centre closed all their McDonald's outlets and only served Federal food. A request that was previously a request that was previously denied to Paul fucking McCartney, the king of the vegetarians. Well, Linda is technically the king of the vegetarians. Which is the queen of the mm. vegetarians. Well then he's the Duke. Okay, he's the Duke. I'm so sorry. I'm just saying. (laughs) He was a meat and two veg boy. (laughs) When Morrissey played Coachella, he remarked from the stage, quote, I can smell burning flesh and I hope to God it's human. (laughs) Um, He then left, left the stage and refused to finish his set. Really? Yeah. So, look, I'm absolutely not saying that him being an animal rights activist is bad. I've simply included this stuff in this what he did that's bad section of the podcast because it gets a lot worse than what I've just said and it kind of moves like that stuff is his excuse for his other really shitty ideas. Mm. Um, like remember that horrible mass shooting in Oslo where a far-right psychopath killed 69 fucking people, 33 of who were under 18 years of age? Were they on the island at the camp? Yeah. Yep. It was a massacre on such a massive scale. It was awful. Well, at a show in Poland days after the attack, Morrissey said, quote, we all live in a murderous world, as the events of, in Norway have shown, though that is nothing compared to what happens in McDonald's and Kentucky Fried shit every day. Is it, you bellend? Like, fuck off. It was a far-right terrorist, which is not the fucking same thing. No. And, and it's super fucked and it's fucked to even... People survived that as well uh, and to think what they went through to uh, have somebody treat it. It's like don't use that to push your agenda. It's got nothing to do with it. It fucking weakens your cause, if anything. And I'm going to tell you some more fucking shitty things about him and the fact that he is talking about a far-right white terrorist is not great, Mm. you know. Um, This is... The one I hate the fucking most. In 2010, when commenting on China's treatment of animals, he said, quote, You can't help but feel that the Chinese people are a subspecies. Which brings me to racism. 
using words like subspecies is fucking racist and there's no way around that. And from what I can see, Morrissey is fucking racist. Yeah. And here's some examples why and in a timeline so that you oh. know that he hasn't oh. gone senile or something. Thank you. Like this goes all the way back. Earliest shit that I could find was 1986 mm. when he told Melody Maker, quote, Reggae, for example, is to me the most racist music in the entire world. It's an absolute total glorification of black supremacy. What the fuck is black oh. <laughs> He goes on. I don't have very cast iron opinions on black music other than black modern music, which I detest. I detest Stevie Wonder. I think Diana Ross is awful. How fucking dare you? I hate all those records in the top 40, Janet Jackson, Whitney Houston. I think they're vile in the extreme. Obviously, to get on top of the pops these days, one has to be, by law, black. Okay, firstly... Whitney was taken from us too soon. Stevie Wonder is a fucking angel. And Diana Ross is probably going to get you when you least expect it. She's very mean. And talented. This is a tremendous start to our timeline of racism. Here he is killing it already. In 1992, he told Q magazine, quote, I don't really think, for instance, black people and white people will ever really get on or like each other. Like maybe you don't like black people, Morrissey, because you're fucking racist. Yeah. Again in 1992, while playing a show literally to a bunch of skinheads, he proudly wore a Union Jack flag, which at the time was generally associated with, like, far-right shit, kind of like the racists in Australia with the Southern Cross. Okay. I think mostly in the UK they've kind of gotten the Union Jack back. Yeah, because, like, I mean, like, but that, I don't know, comparatively to... back then in the late 80s... They'd taken it, it they'd was, hijacked what its history was and what it actually means. Yeah. Uh, um, in a 2007 interview with NME while he was living in Los Angeles, the interviewer asked him if he would ever return to Britain. And he said, quote, Britain's a terribly negative place and it hammers down and really pulls you back and prevents you. Also, with the issue of immigration, it's very difficult because although I don't have anything against people from other countries, the higher the influx into England, the more the British identity disappears. So the price is enormous. If you travel to Germany, it's still absolutely Germany. If you travel to Sweden, it still has Swedish identity. But travel to England and you have no idea where you are. Untrue. In that same interview, when it was brought up that his parents were Irish immigrants, he said, quote, Yes, but it's different now because the gates are flooded and anyone can have access to England and join in. You have to be sensible about everything in life. You can't say, everyone come into my house, sit on my bed, have what you like, do what you like. It wouldn't work. Elsewhere, he claimed that it seemed to me that England was thrown away and that 
You'll hear every accent under the sun apart from the British accent in Knightsbridge. What a fucking tower of privilege you're sitting on to be making those kind of comments. And yeah, like just completely separating your own family's experience to yes. everybody else. It's insane. Like yeah. the, the language that he uses, like the gates are flooded and yeah. In 2015, while on stage in Virginia, he said, I wouldn't be surprised if Madonna made that African boy into a coat and wore him for 15 minutes and then threw it away. African boy. It's a continent, bro. Also, that's her fucking son. Yeah. But I mean, like, and don't say boy. <laughs> I know that. It, 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 yeah, Ugh. it's a huge mistake. It is so gross. Not mistake. It's just like, what are you doing? Why are you even? Why? Why are you even commenting on this? It's just revolting. That just, I, I don't even understand that. It's not witty. No, it's not even based in anything. Nope. It's, it's not clever. So yuck. Uh, On the 2016 Brexit referendum. Oh, my God. I can (laughs) feel the wangstang coming out of him. (laughs) Morrissey said that he didn't vote, but he did say that Nigel Farage would make a good prime minister. Jesus And I think it's pretty clear that he is a supporter of Brexit. He's a major supporter of the uh, shitty far right. Uh, party for Britain and they're a political party who call for a reduction of immigration in the UK, the end of Islamification of the UK and protection of British culture. Um, Anne-Marie Walters is or was the leader, I think, and he has said multiple things about what a wonderful person she is. Um, and he wore a For Britain pin on his 2019 Jimmy Fallon performance. So he's still at it. What? I mean, why Why was he on? Stop giving him any airtime. Uh, he published an interview on his own website where he's talking about the mayor of London, Sadiq no. Khan, and he says, quote, He tells us London is an amazing city. What is amazing? This is the mayor of London and he cannot talk properly. Didn't he grow up in fucking Manchester? Uh, Yeah. I saw an interview where he was discussing mental health and he repeatedly said mental. He could not say the words mental health. The mayor of London. Like what a classist piece of shit. Yeah, why don't you get another pig fucker to run the country? Ugh. Sorry, alleged. Oh, he didn't like the pig fucker because of the pig fucker stuff. Oh, right. Okay. That's cruelty to animals. Of so. course. But you want everyone else to speak like they're from Eden, but then you don't. Uh, it's very confusing. I'm confused to what you want. In 2009, he posted a weird video on his website that was basically a white supremacist video Mm. where he basically talks about Stormzy's headliner set at Glastonbury and how it was used to diminish white culture. Huh? What? Like, I, I couldn't watch it because he took it down. Okay. Billy Bragg discovered it and wrote this huge piece about it and how sad he was about what a fucking cunt face Morrissey is now. Um, 
but it sounds like it was pretty fucking bad. I don't think that uh, Billy Bragg, who is like a mad Smiths fan, would use the term white supremacist without it being a fucking... I, I couldn't believe that I couldn't find it. Yeah, true. But anyway... Um, Apart from the racism, there's just the general jerkiness of Morrissey. When the Me Too shit hit the fan with Weinstein and Kevin Spacey, Morrissey has defended them both. He said that Spacey being fired from a role in his upcoming film was ridiculous and that, quote, anyone who has ever said, I like you to someone is suddenly being charged with sexual harassment. And of Weinstein, he said, quote, people know exactly what's going on. Inviting actresses to his hotel room and they play along. Afterwards, they feel embarrassed or disliked. And then they turn it around and say, I was attacked. I was surprised. But if everything went well and if it had given them a great career, they wouldn't talk about it. Fuck you, you piece of shit. It's so also again there's there is no validity to that. And why is he even saying anything about it? I know. Who fucking cares? Shut the fuck up. You see, I yell with you. <laughs> Thank you. I honestly there's so much more. I could be at it for hours. I had to cull. And this afternoon I, like, went through and was like, oh, no, I won't talk about this racist T-shirt he made. Like, there's just so much and I I just couldn't. How did he get to this place? (sighs) I don't know. It's so bloody sad. He could have been a beautiful queer icon, you know? Like, he's beloved. Yeah. And he's used... Animal activism as an excuse for his racism, and it's just fucking not an excuse. But the animal activism has nothing to do with his comments about like Harvey Weinstein. No, like no, you no, said, no. like there are certain things which are completely like of their course. own trail of destruction. But, you know, he, he says he hates Islam because of halal, right? And you know, but it, it's not no real. He's a racist. Yeah. It's so disappointing and actually it's devastating because it's huge, the reach that he has and the things that he says. Isn't it so interesting, like, the side of politics as well in Britain that he's obviously now on Mm. and has supported and then to think about the fact that he is or was this, like, I have no sexuality and the way that that is perceived, generally speaking, from that far-right side. Totally. Is there is there not any contradictions here? Like, well, is there no conflict well, here? Well, it makes me think, like, what the Smiths were all about has nothing to do with this person. Like, like how could it? Yeah. And I like to think that there's more to the Smiths than Morrissey. But I also know that I love the lyrics. I love his voice. Did he write all the songs? He wrote all of the lyrics and the melodies for them. And Johnny Marr wrote the music. 
I don't think the Smiths stood for the same things that Morrissey seems to stand for now, like at all. They No. And, in fact, Johnny Mars has said about Morrissey, quote, the band was what it was and the band stood for what it stood for. We were always very different people and I think most people know that. Those things are out of my control so I tend not to worry about it. Oh, man. And that was like people saying, I guess, saying to him like, are you worried about Morrissey, you know, tainting the Smith's legacy? Yeah. But, you know, what can he fucking do? No, but I mean, it just, that legacy wasn't just Morrissey. Mm. It was. Of course. All of these contributors, not just the people in the band, but the people who work at the band and the people who supported the band or like produced and all of these people who are involved. The fans at the time. Exactly. This like wonderful music. Yeah. And and then to think that someone just sullies it all by being a fucking racist piece of shit. Yeah. With also like, sorry, but, I, you know, he's obviously, I would have thought he was a little bit smarter than what he's saying. Like some of the shit that he says is just like, are you, do, do you have any thought process before that left your stupid, like, fucking cesspit of a mouth? Well, I wonder if he's just got that um, that kind of old school punk mentality where he just wants to f- upset everybody. Like, well, he's upset. I've him. thought about that as a possibility. But I do think he fucking means those things. But it's just like. Well, why would you be doing it for so long? Yeah, exactly. Unless it was something that actually. That you did believe in. But I'm sure he enjoys the fact the drama that everybody the fucking hates response. the shit he says, yeah. But imagine, like, yeah, just being in a band with this man. Mm. Imagine that. I mean, like, for sure, like, it, as far as I know, it, the, the Smiths disbanded because it was just not working. And that, I mean, it would most likely be a personality situation, like conflicting yeah, personalities. I think so. um, and also maybe like creative sort of conflict. I think Johnny Mao didn't want to tour anymore and Morrissey's ego was probably pretty out of control. Yeah. Couldn't fit it through a door. Speculation, of course. But. I don't know. I just, I think that when you have a collaboration like that for somebody to kind of be a representative for that collaboration and and go so far beyond what is acceptable in your behaviour and the way that you speak about people, your fellow human beings, fuck you. (sighs) Well... Um, there's this music writer, Tim Jones, um, and he wrote for NME and he, he wrote actually that he did that interview in LA where he said all that shit about immigration. Um, and Morrissey tried to sue NME, well, I think, no, they, he tried to sue NME over that, um, and ended up with like some weak kind of accepting a weak apology, um, I'm sorry you felt that way, Morrissey. <laughs> but Tim Jones, like, r- fairly recently wrote a great article about the Smiths and Morrissey being a cunt. Um, and I'm just going to, I want to read you a little bit of it. Um, it's a quote. He says, I have to admit, 
not even a date in the high court, nor accusations of having a schoolgirl giggle, which he said about him, rude, have put me off listening to the Smiths. I just can't picture the man who once sang, I am in the... I am the son and the heir of a shyness that is criminally vulgar as the same one rallying around Tommy Robinson. Most of my own friends and colleagues have long since given up. The For Britain endorsement has been the tipping point. And and Billy Bragg uh, in the post on Facebook that he wrote about, Mm. um, he said, quote, Whenever a Smith track comes up, I just can't. I love Johnny Marr. He's the nicest man I ever met in pop music. So I really feel for him that the great work he's done should be tainted in this way. Exactly what I mean. Like the Smiths is music for outsiders. Yeah. It's like I fucking love the Smiths and I fucking hope to God that I don't hate listening to them now. Mm. But it... And I've never listened to his solo stuff. Um, I I think I remember when I first discovered the Smiths, and obviously four albums wasn't enough, and I wanted more. Yeah. And and listening to Morrissey's solo stuff, I just wasn't the same, and I just wasn't really into it. I just didn't really like it that much. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think he fucking sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I think he fucking sucks. There's no fucking, fucking doubt sucks. about it. But will I listen? Will yeah. yeah, it remains to be seen whether yeah, well, the Smiths we'll, is tainted now. And we'll wait and see because, I mean, I will definitely, uh, like a song will come up on one of my playlists I between know. now and Your recording next. Your playlists are filled with Smith songs and that's why I love them, Cara. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I will. I'm interested to see if I, how I feel when I do listen to it, and I think that that's like you know, that's kind of a like we hear what the other person researches or the work that we put in into like yeah. thinking about these really shitty things that people do, <laughs> and then but the true testament is like going back, rewatching, re-listening. Like, yeah, maybe we should do an episode one day where we a just, recap. We just talk about the previous episodes and whether we. Fucking hate them now. <laughs> yeah, I think it's worth talking about because I think there's some that I have not revisited. As in, I haven't listened or watched anything they've been in. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Amber, you win again. <laughs> um, thank you very, very much for listening. We are so appreciative. Very grateful. Mm. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you're not a racist. <laughs> we know you're not. but You better fucking not be. Also, we hope that you follow us on everything that Zuckerberg owns because we're on Facebook, it. Facebook, Instagram. We don't have a Twitter because who knows how to fucking tweet? I don't really know. I don't have the time I'm to learn. Sure. I'm 41 years old for Christ's sake. And I just ignored it for too many years. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, follow us. And tell us what you like and what you don't like. Tell us everything. We're very excited and we'd like to know more about our listeners and what you like. Yeah. Are you still listening to the Smiths? <sighs> tell us. Did you hate them already? <laughs> Who would? That's Do ridiculous. you love a roast lamb? I don't know. Yeah, look. 
you can you love a roast lamb and love the Smiths? <laughs> um, All right, look, Kara, I'm sorry, Morrissey sucks. Yeah, he's uh, he's some kind of tool. Um, and we'll see you next week for some art focus. Art. We're going back to the artists. Um, which, you know, our episode on... Anish Kapoor. And... Man Ray. Was uh, and continues to be our least listened to episode. Well, so... And I'm really surprised about that because it's actually a fucking awesome episode. It's pretty funny. <laughs> but anyway. So. And it's got, it's, got, it's got light bits and, and very dark bits. Yeah, if you haven't so, listened to it, fucking go and listen to it. And Get maybe, its numbers up. It's a really good one. Yeah, we should probably pay attention, but we're going to dip our toe in the artist pool again. Yeah. We're doing it again. We're going to see. Thanks. I'm sorry. We have used multiple sources in the research for this podcast. All of these can be found in the show notes. This podcast was written by Kara Nissen and Amber Jones, with music and engineering by Morgan Jones. DJ Morgs! <laughs> sorry, I should have laughed. I like it. Thank you.